Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Jim Nasser on the podcast. He is the CEO at Acor. They're developing usable, interoperable, blockchain-enabled technologies for healthcare. Jim is an experienced technology executive and software architect building innovative software for healthcare. I'm really excited to, to talk to you today, Jim, about the work you guys are doing there and to share it with our listeners. And so before we go forward with some of the discussion, I'd love if you could just finish up that intro with any anything that you may want to share beyond what I already have. Yes. Hi, Sal. Um, thanks so much for the invitation and I appreciate your interest and uh, really delighted uh, to be part of the the, the folks that you have spoken to. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, so you know, to kind of wrap up, if you like, your um, you know, very kind introduction, uh, really um, I'm a technology professional, uh, if you like, I'm kind of an architect by profession. I have um, been an entrepreneur for a long time as well. I had my own business for uh, about 14 years or so and, and then um, you know, kind of moved on from that uh, and just on my own things for a little while. I was, I was at the Centers for Disease Control for a little while as well and, and uh, helped to modernize some of the technology, particularly the, the scientific application portfolio technology at the agency. And really, as, as you kind of rounded it up uh, over the last uh, eight, nine months or so, I've been uh, really kind of full-time back at Acor uh, running our software uh, development business and, and really very much focus on healthcare very much, I guess, over the last six, seven years being in healthcare, I guess things that I would like to see differently yeah, and done differently and, and perhaps value that, that I think we can add collectively that, you know, we don't necessarily see. So that's really the motivation. I think there's, like all of us, Sal, I think we have personal reasons and personal stories, you know, mm -hmm. in there that, that maybe were the catalyst to get us, you know, motivated into healthcare is certainly not an industry we consider as easy to break into. So, you know, and certainly in my case, had uh, you know, personal situations, particularly with my my family, uh, where I've seen really how healthcare is just just really um, not delivered, right? You know, mm -hmm. in an industry that that you know that really uh, for the amount of money that's spent and and the amount of of the percentage of of the gross domestic product that that is dedicated to it, uh, really under delivers and and at the core uh, lets individuals down. So all those things are kind of behind. I guess on my motivations, uh, you know, kind of being the space that I'm in, I think there's an opportunity uh, for technologists uh, like myself to to get into this and, and really kind of make a difference. And, and that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. Well said, Jim. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of money to, you know, really to get a product that is not the best that it could be. And, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend this morning and he said that he needed to get a stress test and that the test is $18,000. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's like a couple hours, 18 grand. Oh man. And he had a copay of like 1800. He's like, man, I don't even think I'm going to do it. 
And this happens too often where where something, you know, is not probably priced the way that it should be. It's overpriced and and uh, and people don't get it because now employers are also offsetting their cost because it's getting uh, ridiculous. So couldn't agree with you more there, Jim, and uh, appreciate you you uh, mentioning your very strong will and your, your strong purpose for being in the business. Oh, thank you. Yes. And, and, and you know, it's funny you mentioned the $18,000. I think for many people, the issue is they don't even know what the price is. In fact, even after the event, when you come back and see the bill, you really cannot explain it. I've been there myself with, again, uh, with my family where there are bills that literally nobody can explain. They just punt you around from one place to another, but nobody can explain how the pricing was constructed or, or what the items really kind of map to. Uh, and this, this kind of opaqueness of pricing is, you know, again, you look at almost any other industry and you think, how on earth could that industry be even remotely you know, in business, if in this day and age, pricing is so kind of, you know, secretive and opaque, it's, it's like you have to be a member of the Illuminati to have any <laughs> sense about it. You know, but that's, that's the reality what we deal with. Uh, you know, and, and I think most of us basically are, are exhausted into submission, right? Because, uh, you know, we're like, it's just not even worth the amount of effort because, uh, you know, you just don't get there and it consumes so many cycles. So you're kind of like beaten up. So Jim, yeah, I agree. And so tell me a little about about Acor and how the business is adding value to the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think you did a good job explaining really what our mission is. You know, we're, we're here to build modern, usable, essentially real-time healthcare technologies. Um, you know, we, we have a focus on technologies that really, by and large, you know, like in my mind, provide computational proof of transactions. Right, you know, and, and hence the blockchain enabling. But I think, you know, again, I think it's important for us to to not get sidetracked by blockchain or any other kind of exotic technology per se, because they're really just enablers and, and really blockchain in, in many ways is infrastructure, you know, is is uh, you know, what SMTP is to email as example. So like twenty years ago, back in the early, you know, kind of days of internet, we would have been talking about things like HTTP and SMTP, and these are underlying protocols. So that's kind of, if you like, a kind of a corollary to where blockchain is, is as an underlying protocol for trust or computational trust. So, but all to say, I think that the real application and the real value is, can you, especially in a world where we all know, and again, unfortunately, it's very evident right now with, with this uh, COVID-19 uh, kind of pandemic that we're all going through, we're in a world where uh, data and certainly healthcare data is, you know, you can't necessarily trust it, right? You can't trust its uh, origins. You can't necessarily trust it's not been manipulated, you know, and, and not to mention as it gets relayed through various channels and social media, whatever, and all the additional, you know, quote, fake, uh, you know, inputs and, and agendas that are kind of attached to these things. So our kind of thinking is we can do better, right? You know, we can make health data much more accountable and, and we can prove it and, and prove it outside of like GEM or ACOR or any one entity. So, so you could use uh, you know, a public ledger if you wanted to and, and just verify for yourself. And you could have a, this global infrastructure that they can use in real time to prove provenance of information that you know, the information that you're, you're looking at at least can be trusted in the sense that it wasn't manipulated along the way. 
Mm-hmm. So that's, that's fundamentally what we're trying to do. You know, obviously, we have some applications that, that go one level higher from this and, for instance, provide real-time visualization of data and analytics and things like this. But to me, really, the, the core concept is, can you actually trust that data? Because uh, if you can't, then you know, whatever insights and machine learning or whatever you get from it, is going to be suspect. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good call out. And what do, what do we do, right? You got that bill and you didn't know what it, what it even meant. I've been there too. Like I've, I've, I've gotten a bill from, you know, my son got a little, his chin, he fell and it, and it opened up and then I got stitches and this and that. And I get the bill. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what, what is this? Right. And, and what, what happens with this data? And these are just two points in a, in a very large system. And, and how do you manage it? So, so tell us about how ACOR helps with that. And I'd love to hear some you know, real applications here, Jim, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about blockchain, but to your point, how do you make it usable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, but by the way, I would actually kind of really echo what you say and in a way that I would say would be even kind of a little bit negative towards blockchain, because I think, you know, it has become fodder for, you know, essentially prospective kind of perspective offerings, right? Offer offerings that are only on PowerPoint, um, you know, and, and people who pontificate about it without any proof that they've actually done it or, or it's useful. So, you know, and, and I certainly don't want us to have another conversation like that. I think that's not worth anybody's time. So back to your question. Um, so what we're doing, let me give you a specific example. There are several I can, I can point you to, but here's one. Mm-hmm. So we are working right now with uh, a consortia, including uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, Safe Health Systems out of California, and some, some labs such as Quest, LabCorp, and, and other folks, um, really building and have built a, a large-scale kind of a COVID-19 um, kind of essentially what we call diagnostics and triage platform. So there's a mobile app and we're white labeling that app for various entities. Just last week, uh, you may have seen Delta Airlines had an announcement about the work they're doing with um, with Safe Health Systems and with Mayo specifically. That's Mm -hmm. the application I'm referring to. And and then a couple of weeks before that, Arizona State University had a similar press release or, or, or a blog entry. Again, this is kind of, that's the underlying platform that myself, my team, and, and a large cast of characters in this consortium are working on. But back to the blockchain piece, uh, there are two very important things we're doing. One is that we have created what we call a national health ID, which is a, a unique ID, oh, yeah. you know, which obviously is not, every system has a unique ID, but what, what is unique about this is that we actually generate it in real time using the Hedera um, distributed ledger uh, technology as a public ledger entry. So for every number, like if my number is say one, two, three, four, that's my unique ID. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see that it's unique. You can clearly see it was recorded on the public blockchain and you can interrogate that, right? Just a number, not necessarily all the information about me, obviously. That's not on the blockchain. Um, sure. But, it, but then the second thing related to this is that we are essentially working in this uh, kind of group of, of uh, similar forward-thinking outfits. We are sharing that national health ID and, and possibly an associated, or, or not possibly, definitely an associated barcode to essentially use that and that alone to identify patients across different systems, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously it's not at all practical, nor, nor does it make sense to have one gigantic healthcare system, right? They're all separate. 
However, it is practical to have a unique ID that you use to identify a user across different systems and in many ways use that to propel efficiencies, right? So, so then, you know, Jim Nasser really is this, this number across many different systems, whether it is, you know, all like built by Epic or all built by, you know, cast of different companies. So that's a big, big thing. And again, we can computationally prove it. The other thing we can also do, or we have also done and can computation prove is this idea that using our mobile app, you're essentially the first step before you get triaged and, and essentially uh, diagnosed, if you like, online, is this questionnaire that you take, right? Which you've seen Apple and other people do, you know, it's a typical kind of CDC guideline-based questionnaire. Do you have a fever? If so, what temperature is it? How many days have you had it? It's a protocol, right? Yeah. But what is important, what is different to pretty much anybody else, I think, I don't think anybody else is doing this, is that the, those questions uh, and the outcomes from them, because the outcomes uh, really are medical endpoints, they lead to testing or they lead to a, a telehealth provider speaking to you. We record every one of those uh, as, a, as an encrypted reference on the public blockchain. So again, we can computationally prove that those transactions happen at the time they happen, and, and here's a ledger entry to prove it. So if an auditor said, you know, hey, uh, Jim, Acor, prove that this is real and, and you didn't fake the data because of your own agenda. We can prove it. We can prove the full data provenance for all of that. And again, it's done in real time. We can report on it. So both of those are already in production and are being used actively. You know, again, nice. our clients, you know, our clients use the application of these, such as the trusted, if you like, transaction. The fact that we use blockchain and make it, you know, have this provenance really is, to me, is an abstraction. They don't need to know about that. But if somebody says, prove to me you haven't manipulated data, we can't prove that. That's cool. And, uh, you know, the, the health ID is an interesting concept that I think would be very useful for us to employ now. I mean, how that happens is a challenge, right? I mean, no, or no. what do you think about that? I mean, are we any closer to getting there? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? This is, uh, obviously, this is an, an issue that's been around for a long time. You know, I think if I recall correctly, sometime in the 50s, that there was an initiative to create a national health ID and, and yep. various reasons, most of which was really political and territorial, it did not happen. And of course, as time has gone on, like, you know, again, you can easily imagine this, right? So a, a big EHR vendor, and, and you have your selection of two or three monopolistic ones, uh, oligopolies, mm-hmm. they want to have their own unique identity uh, and not share it, right? Regardless of the right. fact that, you know, Jim or Sal could be on three of these systems, three different systems. Um, so that has unfortunately kind of gone on and, and as time has gone on, there's been real kind of financial incentives for them to keep it that way and, and disincentives for, for this kind of a, a interoperability. However, I think what, what we have going for us is really two things right now at this moment. Uh, one is, is that because of COVID and, and this pandemic and, and all of the repercussions, we, we, we largely have this ability through the emergency use authorization to push through ideas that perhaps in prior times may have taken years, if not decades, because mm-hmm. of, of the, the many kind of contentious factions who would have been involved in, in, you know, really fighting their own turf. So I think that's, that's a positive if you can tap into the UA, emergency use authorization to, to really drive this. The other thing is, is that, you know, it's becoming very evident, right, that you, and, and, and this is not just because of COVID, it's been evident for uh, a number of years and that the Cures Act, uh, you know, kind of spells it out that, that you know, consumers need more control over the, their, their data. Consumers need to be able to get their data from wherever it happens to be. You know, and I think 
so it's fine to say that, but, but if consumers have 18 different identities on 18 different systems, that makes it difficult. And then the Cures Act allows us to essentially have an agent, so like a, a developer like Acor, providing a, an app to, to retrieve that data. But you know, having some kind of a national health ID that simply allows you to identify Jim on 18 different systems. Mm-hmm. That really is, is the long-term way of doing this without you providing all kinds of credentials and things like this and really making it difficult. You know, it's one thing to say, here's the law. It's another thing to actually make it practicable. So I think that those, both of those things, I think at the very least, are kind of in our favor you know, with this. But, but honestly, this is, uh, you know, this is an area where I think Technically speaking, it's relatively straightforward. You know, you, you take this as an example, you take this national health ID number that we've created, you add to it definitive biometrics, such as uh, like your voice, right? You, you, right. you can have essentially with a very, very high degree of, of accuracy, you could have your voice be completely uniquely uh, kind of identified using machine learning, almost 100% accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. So that number plus my voice could be essentially the, the, if you like, the private key for me to be able to tap into all kinds of different systems. The issue really is going to be the, uh, the politicking around this because that's not going to, that culture is not going to change that quickly. Yeah, no, that's a, some good call outs. And so I appreciate your insights there. I, I've, I've always found that very interesting, you know, and the, and the promise. And obviously, to your point, there's some, some vested interest in not going there by some of the larger EHR players. And so, you know, as you and, and uh, ACOR work to, to operationalize and, and make these things usable, what's one of the big things that you could point to as you've made business better or you've improved outcomes? I think it'd be foolish to say that we're, uh, you know, we have like really improve healthcare outcomes at, at, at a larger scale, because I think that's one is, you know, as they say, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, two, I think a lot of things we're doing are, are still really fledgling in the bigger scheme of things, you know, including all of the, the real time and, and blockchain enabled things. However, to me, what we're really kind of trying to do, and I'm already seeing some outcomes and results and, and certainly good rhetoric and, and feedback from clients is really this idea of, of you know, we, we do two things really well, mm-hmm. right? The first thing that we do well is, is really abstract real time blockchain technologies into our software, right? So, so essentially you get software that like a software as a, a service cloud offering that you would get from any number of other vendors, but you basically get this um, real-time auditability and, and you know, uh, computational trust and a confidence score that's built in, that's, that's really just there. Hmm. You don't have to worry about it and have to manage you know, keys and, and native tokens and things like this. We abstract all that for you. So I think that's, that's one thing that, that you know, we kind of do and, and we've seen people appreciate that. But then the other thing we do is, is really provide very rich analytics on the data that then you know, we, we claim is, is as trustworthy as we can make it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we've seen is that there are users, for instance, uh, we have some public health users you know, who use our systems um, kind of for, for really managing essentially death mortality data and, and particularly with, with regards to the opioid crisis, which was a huge crisis before COVID became crisis du jour. But, you know, really what they do is, is that they use our analytics technology uh, in, a, in a way that's very, very simple to use and it's, it's oriented for end users and not for programmers or, you know, kind of expert kind of uh, visualization engineers and things like this, which, which I think is a differentiator because end of the day, what we really want to do is appeal to epidemiologists, forensic pathologists, 
chief medical examiners as opposed to appeal to engineers like ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because the real value, the, the, the actual medical value, doesn't sit with the technology people. It sits with those functional people. You know, and, and I saw that when I was at the CDC, really, my clients were epidemiologists and public health experts. But they needed, they were dependent on people like me, you know, who may have spent or may, would spend many weeks or months really just manipulating data before they would even be able to really get their hands on the data and, and do anything with it. Uh, but that's not right. You know, I think in 2020, uh, we need to get this data to them in, in as absorbable and easy to use a way, you know, in a way that gives them control, uh, you know, as, as, and as quickly as possible. And I think that's what we're trying to do. And, and I think that's really kind of our, uh, you know, if there is an improvement in outcome, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we've seen some good results. Very cool. This is great. And you're, it's really, it comes down to making it usable, right? And and not right. having to wait forever and, and, you know, be a black box. Yeah. I mean, so Sal, imagine this. Imagine if we went to Wall Street uh-huh. uh, and said, uh, okay, you know, this this financial transaction that you had, uh, you, you're going to get your settlement in six months. And by the way, you won't really know why or how it was settled. I mean, it would be ludicrous, right? <laughs> but that's kind of what we see you know, in the world of healthcare. Yeah, no, well, well said. That's a great, great example. And so what's been one of the biggest setbacks, Jim, that you've seen? And, and uh, what was the key learning that came from it? Yeah, you know, I think, again, being an entrepreneur, I'm sure you, you can also perhaps understand this and, and empathize with this. I think mm-hmm. there, there are times where like, you know, and I have one or two examples that come to mind where, you know, like I have worked or we have worked with entities and, and specific individuals, so-called KOLs, key opinion leaders, and particularly in pharma, where really honestly, their motivations and incentivizations were completely misaligned to, to ours, right? I mean, they're, they were motivated by essentially the, the bonus they would make at the end of the year and by very kind of reliable financials um, that effectively, you know, helped them but didn't really have the bigger picture and, and didn't, you know, so I think essentially wasting time, you know, in, in you know, you can't please everyone all the time and you shouldn't. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, so lesson learned with, with that actually for me was the catalyst for us to really go all in with ACOR, which is, you know what, if you believe in it, if that's your conviction, uh, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and, and you, you know, you don't mess around with people who really end of a day that they're, they're into platitude, but they don't really, they don't really care. At, at the core, they're, they're incented differently. Mm. So it's hard to search for that and, and to identify that, right? How do you figure that out? You know, I, I, wish, I wish I had a, a perfect recipe. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, I think in order to be innovative and in order for, to really make an impact, you need to have kind of a positive attitude and, and, and a, you know, an attitude that allows you to take on challenges without you know, kind of being jaded. Because you can easily talk yourself out of those things, um, you know, and, 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 you know, of course, as an entrepreneur is almost always uphill, you know, it's an uphill swim and you have to get used to that and have a, have a skin to deal with that. But, you know, I, I think at some point you have to have that objective, you know, kind of, you know, if you like the Mendoza line, you know, I'm, I'm using baseball analogy here to know that this is, you know, you're below that line and you just got to drop it. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're batting below 200, it's just too late. Forget about it. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, and I think that's sometimes that as, as entrepreneurs, we have unending enthusiasm and we think everybody kind of thinks that way. But the reality is that's not the case. And people think differently. You know, it doesn't, you know, again, good, bad or indifferent. But if, if your objective is, is to make, make change and, and ultimately 
uh, that's not everybody's objective, then that's not a good place to be. And, and you need to, you know, you, you need to have some degree of control over, you know, what you do. Uh, otherwise, you just all you do is cite problems and not actually create any solutions. Right. No, that's that's awesome. And you know, speaking of enthusiasm, you know, what would you say you're most excited about today? You know, it's it's kind of sad actually, Sal, because um, I'm most excited that because of COVID, we have the ability to actually make long, longer lasting changes. You know, it's it's very sad. It's it's a dual-edged sword. Obviously, nobody likes the situation we're in. And, you know, the 130,000 plus people have died and, and you know, and, and all the numbers are just horrendous uh, and they're just like sickening. Um, however, I think there's awareness as we've also seen, you know, politically speaking and with Black Lives Matter, that there's, there's an awakening for, for a lot of us of, of these underlying uh, kind of problems that really have been around for a long time, you know, and, and problems that impact all of us that we have for whatever reason, either ignored or, or just really haven't paid that much attention to. So I kind of feel like, you know, there's, I'm enthusiastic that because of, of COVID and because of the much greater awareness all of us are kind of having, that, that we can actually push through some of these changes and, and push out some of these people who are really obstinate and end of the day, that they're very singularly focused on their interests. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we're at, at 20% of our GDP going to healthcare, the results that we're getting are, are just so poor, such a poor return that, that you know, we need to make a change. And, and people who are entrenched and, and have profited, you know, for really decades, you know, without really making too much of an innovation, uh, we need to push them out. Yeah, I mean, you're you're calling it out. And I think it's important to, to embrace truth, especially in a time of challenge. And I, I think that, I mean, my, my thinking is the same, Jim. Right now, we have an opportunity, right? There's a lot of people experiencing pain. It's difficult. We're changing our lifestyle, how we do things. You know, the onus is on us. And if you're listening to this today, it's on you to do what we need to do to get more for our healthcare dollar and also, uh, you know, to, to do our part and pick up the trash from the ground. So really appreciate the insights you've, you've shared with us on blockchain. It's always an area of curiosity for all of us. So thank you for making it practical today for us. Uh, before we conclude, Jim, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you. Sure. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, I think closing thought would be that there is an opportunity for entrepreneurs in, in healthcare. Uh, I think reality and perception by and large has been that healthcare is a very difficult space to break into for entrepreneurs. I don't want to, you know, put on Pollyanna glasses and say that that has changed completely. That's not really the case, right? You know, unfortunately, uh, one year in, in many uh, other industries is about a decade in healthcare. Um, so things don't move that quickly or, or you know, those people and obstacles don't, don't kind of just go away that quickly. However, I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity for entrepreneurs. I would strongly encourage as a, you know, as kind of a more practical advice that, you know, look into ways where you can essentially make data accountable, right? You know, it doesn't have to be just blockchain. There, there, there are a number of ways of doing this. Obviously, I, I think blockchain, particularly real-time next-generation blockchain, not, not so much proof of work type of Bitcoin because it's too expensive to do so. But I think, you know, end of the day, almost 
all of healthcare is about data, right? You know, at, at one level, I'm not obviously referring to medical treatment. And, uh, you know, there's tremendous efficiencies to be had by having data that, that uh, flows faster, that, that moves with less hops, that's more interoperable, but also can be trusted, right? And I think there is an opportunity for a number of entrepreneurs in that space, you know, and, and you could look at it from genomic data to public health data to clinical trials. I mean, you name it, there's all kinds of, of data. It's a very data-rich space, healthcare, and I strongly believe that there's opportunity for thinking forward-looking entrepreneurs with technology background to marry that level of, of technology skill and expertise, you know, with healthcare data. And I think, you know, um, I don't think everybody's doing that. I think there's, there's a window. Well, let's take advantage of that window. If that person is you, you're listening to this, take a look into that window, take a step into that window, right, Jim? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, it's, uh, you could be, you could be doing a lot, uh, less productive things. And if the uh, interest is there, Jim, where can people reach out to you or connect with you to, to learn more? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, no, that's okay. I, I, you asked a question. I forgot to mention. Yeah. So our website is is the best place in general. It's uh, acore.com, A-C-O-E-R.com. And uh, yeah, you can contact me through uh, the contact us over there. My Email is jnasser at acor.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so I encourage you and your audience, if you're interested, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm quite approachable, so happy to connect with you. Love it. There you have it, folks. Jim Nasser and uh, CEO of Acor, our blockchain expert for today's episode. Uh, Jim, uh, really grateful that you uh, you know gave us some insights here and, and helped us understand this critical technology better. And uh, yeah, really thankful for you. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity, Solomon. Thanks for kind of your platform and, and what you do. I think it's, it's great that people like yourself, uh, yourself take the time to you know invite people like us to, to really talk about uh, what we're up to and what's real, what's not real. And, and hopefully all of us can you know, improve the space. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners. No podcast, no problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.